What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, lovers. Bridie here to introduce you to this week's guests, Kiana Reeves. Kiana is a somatic sex educator, pelvic care practitioner, and certified doula, as well as the chief education officer of innovative health and sexual wellness brand, Foria. We talked to Kiana about sexual wellness, CBD as an ingredient in sexual wellness products, and the missing network of support in how our culture approaches postpartum, or the fourth trimester. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, Kiana, I am so excited to sit down and talk to you. Um, you are the chief education officer um, over at Foria, Foria Wellness, and um, how, you know what? Why don't I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the mic over to you. How about right. for any of our listeners who do not know what Foria is and what Foria does, uh, give us a little a little spiel into the work that is happening at Foria Wellness. Yeah. So the jumping off point for me would be a little bit before Foria. So we're a sexual health and wellness brand. 
steeped in plant history, um, plant lore, the way that humans have worked medicinally with plants for thousands and thousands of years, particularly focused on how plants can enhance intimacy, sexual pleasure, with a special focus on women and people with vulvas, because we've been so kind of left behind in the modern day um, sexual revolution and, and how our bodies are understood. So that my role within Foria is chief education officer, chief brand officer. I like to say I'm the chief storyteller. They haven't officially allowed me to use that title, but I like that. My, my background is sex education. I'm a somatic sex educator. I do intravaginal pelvic work and have studied, you know, work with the nervous system and understanding how the body can, um, experience almost like nervous system repatterning through work with hands-on work with the genitals. I'm also a doula have been in birth work for over 10 years. And so my work has cumulatively focused on, uh, sexual health, reproductive health for the bodies of people with vulvas and uteruses. So the fusion of kind of what I'm doing within the company is really helping. Like how do we storytell around our mm. products? Who are we bringing them to? Who are we making them for? Where can we have the greatest impact? Where's the greatest need? And how can we do all of that ethically within the, you know, the capitalist system, which is a very unethical system. So, how did you how did you get to be where you are like how, how does one how does one get into pelvic care how does yeah. one get into somatic sex education um uh you know where where did this all begin for you yeah it's it's a little bit like following the lucky rabbit i don't even know if that's a saying but that's what just the white rabbit the white rabbit um to, for me, and I don't think it's the same, everyone falls into their careers and their purpose in different ways. Mine was through a series of following the thing that felt like the next right thing. So mm. I was very interested in, at a young age in birth work and thought I was going to become a midwife, studied as a doula, had my own kids and had this massive realization that the systems of society that support mothers and new families have been all but eradicated here in North America. Mm. And we end up, and I came into motherhood as a single mother. So singularly alone in our experience around support and what really facilitates recovery. And within that framework was also this massive identity shift around motherhood and what it means to be a sexual person as a mother and how society and your friends and your community and potential partners engage with you. And that is what really set me on the path of examining our relationship as a culture and society with sex, how we engage with it ourselves personally, examining the personal, cultural, familial relationships we have with shame. Um, and it brought me to a bunch of phenomenal teachers, all who work in the context of embodiment and sexuality and intimacy. So over the last 10 years, I've studied with um, a brilliant woman named Kimberly Johnson, who wrote the book, uh, The Fourth Trimester. She also just wrote a book called Call of the Wild. Um, her teacher, Ellen Heed, who's a mind-blowing body worker and does tons of work with the nervous system and scar tissue and intravaginal pelvic work. And then from there, I studied with their teachers who did the somatic sex education piece. And it just was, it was kind of like following 
the the clues as they came. Um, it was around that point when I met Matthew, our CEO and co-founder, and merged trajectories with him and with Foria. Can I ask, when you say the systems of support have were, have all been like everything but eradicated, can what were the like what were those? What doesn't exist yeah. anymore? Yeah, so there's a lot. Um, but if you're looking specifically at the lens of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, there have always been networks of support that look like care, both through the birthing process. So who's attending your birth? Usually and traditionally it would be other mothers, people who have gone through that experience who can support you through it. Um, birth attendees who are studying, you know, with the midwife who are who like are steeped in that world and can offer that language to help, especially for a new parent going <laughs> to the birthing room and not having the felt experience of what it means to be in labor, someone who can help you identify and, and move through that in a way that doesn't feel tremendously scary or intimidating. Um, I don't have a, an issue with Western medicine, but as Western medicine, medicine kind of, um, took over the whole landscape of birth. Birth is now seen as an emergency. And because of that, it's kind of can become a high stress environment. Yeah. And so there's the birth support that naturally kind of was separated when birth moved into the hospital and out of the home. And then there's this huge piece around postpartum, which is you look at cultures all around the world and there's things like the first 40 days where Around 40 days or the first six weeks, the birthing parent is in bed and well-fed, doing no work, having aunties and cousins, sisters, mothers, brothers, everybody supporting the family and the, and the baby in bonding and connection, but also just the massive requirement of nourishment that it takes to make breast milk recover from such an energy-rich endeavor and um, balance hormones. You know, there's... There's all this happening in the body. So those networks of support, providing food, providing emotional support, knowing to show up and not ask to see the baby, but can I do your laundry and clean your room for you? Yeah. You know, those types of things have been lost over the generations because uh, they've either been commodified or outsourced or lost. Um, when you had your kids, did you know this then or well, that came after yeah with my first I had studied to be a doula and I still didn't get it we had this piece around postpartum work and I did I was like what do I do for a postpartum mom she's just laying in bed yeah you know you, you can't fathom how a person who's just given birth feels really unless you've gone through it or you've been a close associate of that experience and the, the levels of exhaustion and what it requires of your body is is almost like a year's worth of energy compressed into a very short time frame. So I had no idea. And then as I was going through it, you know, I had stitches to recover from and I couldn't sit up. And I needed, you know, to sit in a sits bath and I needed someone to cook for me. And I couldn't even roll out of bed and change my son's diaper. And it taught me so much about where these pieces were missing mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I had a, I had a doula, I had a midwife, I had a good setup. And even still it was shocking. And so <clears throat> with the second, with my second son, we had family come stay with us and specifically requested like, please come cook. Please don't eat the food. Like <laughs> here are the roles that need to be filled. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. What was that like then the, the second or the second time around? Second second child? It, it was amazing to get that rest and so did, important. Did so it change important. the birthing experience as well to know that you had that? Yeah, I think a little bit, but I think the birthing experience most profoundly changed because my body knew what it was doing. Like I, I didn't go into it shocked and super afraid of the intensity of, of the, uh, of what my body was doing. You know, it, it had a roadmap. All births are different, but at least it was something familiar that I could roll with. Yeah. And that's what really changed the second birth. Hmm. Wow. Um, I, I, I would like to, to kind of touch on, um, uh, I'd like to touch on pleasure and the work that you do as a, as a somatic, um, sex educator. Um, one of the things that has come up on the show, uh, several times over the last, you know, four or five years as we've been doing this is this, this idea of the, the pleasure gap. Um, can you can you, just as a refresher for myself and maybe even for some listeners, can you give us a, a bit of context as to what, what is the pleasure gap and like what's, what surrounds the, the notion of closing the pleasure gap? Yeah. So it's kind of, in a nutshell, the pleasure gap is the difference between the um, occurrence of orgasm during a sexual experience when looking at men and women. And most of the studies have been done on cis heterosexual folks. And so it really is, look, it's a, it, right now it's a gendered conversation. We're not looking specifically at, you know, people with vulvas or people with penises. Um, but the stats are interesting because when you look at uh, cis heterosexual couples, the discrepancy is the highest between who's having the most regular occurrence of orgasms and it's the, the partner, the male partner. Um, and then when you start looking at same sex relationships, the, the gap gets closer and closer. Hmm. And so there's a real question around why that's happening. Is there a lack of education? Is there a lack of understanding of how our different bodies work and arousal trajectories being somewhat different in their timing for a person with a penis versus a person with a vulva. Um, our lack of awareness around things like, you know, using lube, which in fact enhances pleasure for everybody involved. So the idea of closing the pleasure gap is a, why is the gap happening? And from my perspective, it's both, you know, a lack of education around how the anatomy works, the clitoral, urethral sponge, all of the erectile tissue that activates for a woman and a person with a vulva. So just an anatomical, I don't know how to, you know, help my partner with this. Um, but then it's also identifying what are the tools that we could use that can really facilitate this, you know, things like introducing vibrators into 
into the bedroom, lube into the bedroom. Um, and then it's really around conversation too. Mm. A lot of people don't feel comfortable saying, Hey, I likely cannot orgasm through penetration alone. I need some clitoral stimulation, which is consistent for about 70% of the, of who we're talking about. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, so this, this note, like, I mean, the communication part, that's, that's, that's one part of the puzzle um, that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, but, but coming, coming to this, um, the, the like implementing certain uh, products or tools to the equation to, to get people to, you know, to help uh, shorten this gap or close the, you know, close the gap um, is, is, are the, are the, in your opinion, are the the products or the tools that exist out there like are they are they fairly universal for most folks, or or is it really like a sort of dependent on like a really kind of bespoke um, s- setup that 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 really just depends on the person's needs and their body and the way that that they relate to pleasure? Yeah. I think that there are some that are universal, like lube is absolutely universal in the sense that the vaginal and the mucosa of the vulva and the vagina are incredibly sensitive and can tear very easily and can scar very easily. And if you have sex that's been, you know, not lubricated for a lot of your life, you can have scar tissue in your G spot, which means that when you're aroused, and fully turned on, even still, there might be a lack of sensation on the G spot because of prior experiences. So Mm. lube to me is one that's just totally universal. Um, But even backing up from that, considering what gets in the way for somebody to be able to reach climax and considering the fact that our brain is actually our largest sex organ. And so much of the ramping up and being able to reach climax comes from our ability to relax and feel safe. Mm. And without that, there's, there's not a really strong path to be able to reach that just with no matter who you're with. So it's like the tools are the thing that to me almost come last. It's, do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable? Can I express or even identify my needs? Mm. Identifying of the needs is massive. And then once you've gotten through all of those levels, you go to, okay, so I'm safe, I'm comfortable, I can communicate my needs to my partner, and here's our set of tools that we can use. And then you have, yes, universal lube, universal access to vibrator if you want, or using your hand, partner using your hands. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When it comes to lube, um, I know that uh, Foria has a, has a pretty like prominent focus on CBD-based lubes um which we have we've used and and like definitely big fans of um but if i'm gonna be like completely honest i'm i don't i don't know shit about i don't know shit about anything really but when it comes to like lube um i i really don't know much and then when it comes to lube that's infused with cbd i'm like cbd i don't know like everything I've heard about CBD is that it's great. And that like, it's this miracle compound that uh, is just good for everything. So how, like, how does CBD play a role in lube? What makes CBD infused lube? I, I don't know if the word it better is the word, but like what makes it, what's, what, what's desirable about the use of CBD when it comes to um, products like lubricants or, I mean, and I don't know that there's other products as well, but in the, in the sense of lube, like what makes CBD such a, such a great component to 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 your personal lubricant. Yeah, so we're on this. We're riding the kind of tail end of the the CBD gold rush in a way. Yeah, yeah. So everything got CBD infused into it, including I think like tights and mascara and stuff, which doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> when you see CBD in anything, it's good to question it. Um, I think it's important because a lot of it can be hyped. And when it comes to lube, the reason we put CBD into lube, and I believe we were the first people putting cannabinoids onto genitals in the modern era, um, so it's been done for thousands of years, anecdotally in, in many traditions around the world. The reason is because these cannabinoids, THC and CBD, most uh, well-known cannabinoids, but there's over 100 from this plant family, have different impact on the body. And unfortunately, there's not tons of double-blind studies. There's not any double-blind studies actually on cannabinoids and the genitals specifically as it relates to pleasure. 
But what you can understand about the process of arousal and the process, like arousal is the foundation for pleasure to exist, particularly for <laughs> we need just as much blood flow as a person with a penis does to become fully aroused. And that takes us longer often research shows. And so anything that you can do to a relax muscles, because there's a lot of muscles in the pelvic floor that hold a lot of tension. It's like the hinge point of the body. We walk and we bend from there. Um, a highly emotionally charged part of the body. So there's a lot of tension usually on the backside of the pelvic floor. So anything you can do to relax muscles, anything you can do to uh, enhance the arousal, which is process of blood literally getting into the erectile tissue body and anything that's anti-inflammatory. And it just so happens that in other studies that are double blind, that are looking at the way that CBD and these cannabinoids can work, um, CBD is shown to be vasodilating, so it enhances capacity for blood flow to the blood vessels. It is an amazing muscle relaxer. It helps reduce inflammation. So it has the, the qualities that you would want to see for something um, on other parts of the body also in the way that we'd like to use it, which is really helping with arousal and relaxation. What is, um, I, I would love to chat more. We've, we've talked to a couple of like pelvic floor physiotherapists. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what, how the work that you do is it okay that I'm sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how the work you do is, is similar or not similar to pelvic floor physiotherapy. Mm -hmm. They're really, really good. Co, uh, what do I, what's the word? They work synergistic, great. synergistic. Yeah. Um, Pelvic floor physical therapy is really looking at the musculature and the function of the pelvic floor or the pelvic bowl, as many people call it now, because it's not really just a floor. Right. And they do lots of work with um, training different muscle groups, being able to identify where there might be an imbalance. So hypotonic or hypertonic, meaning you know some muscles might be extra tense while others might be a little slack. Um, they can facilitate really amazing recovery to prevent things like prolapse, which is there's different kinds of organs like your bladder or your uterus and sometimes your rectum, um, which can fall into the vaginal canal. So for things that are very physically oriented, it's found important, really, really uh, highly suggest for everyone, particularly for anyone who's had a baby. And... Um, the work that I do, both as a sexological body worker, but then being trained in this modality called STREAM, which is really focused on scar tissue remediation and, and management. Um, this specific work focuses so much on the nervous system and the nervous system's relationship to the genitals, because we have such, a, there's so much emotional charge that is held in the muscles. Like it's the view that, the body is the subconscious. And so it's where we hold things. And when you don't give space for the body to kind of process through what it's holding, it stays in the body, which then can manifest as, you know, tension. It can manifest as pain. It can manifest as uh, numbness. And so it's using the access point of the pelvis and the genitals to help some of the deeper nervous system, emotional things move 
in, yeah. So it's, it's just with a little bit of a different lens. That's so fascinating. I can't imagine what kind of, I've had intraoral like work done by osteos and, you know, any sort of like big fascial release of any yeah. kind, it just triggers like a flood of emotions. Yeah. I can only imagine what's, what, what you have encountered in yeah. treatment. Um, it, just even when you were talking, I'm like, okay, relax, relax. Why yeah, are you holding, it's, it's, holding your abdomen? Why? Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause even something as simple, like what I've done with clients in the past is working on this idea of, um, an embodied no, or like, what does full bodied consent look like? Because there's a lot of women and people, but really a lot of women who are trained to override our no for our partner's pleasure. Yeah. And that after a really long time, we can kind of dissociate from what a yes in our body feels like and what a no feels like. And then you have somebody who's enduring but it's not actually like available and experiencing their true desire for their own body. So even working with something as simple as a, um, a practice where, you know, I'll have a client like direct and tell me when and where to move my hand. And if they are not ready, literally sitting there with them, with my hand, you know, at the opening of their vagina, where there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of confusion around boundaries there. There's a lot of penetration that happens before we're ready. And so that in the sitting in a moment where there's like this, here's the boundary and it's staying here can be such a repair, like such a nervous system repair for people that the most simple act, you know, and it can take half an hour for them to really like feel that. And then the wave that comes with that, the wave of emotional, release that comes when the body feels safe is, I mean, it's unlike anything mm. I've ever seen. In, in. And is it, would, I mean, I guess it depends on the history. It depends. It must always depend on the person, but, but you know, how quickly can you re do people, you know, like that's one session, let's say. Yeah. Um, maybe for some, it takes many to get to that release, but then, how, what do you, how do you advise folks moving forward after treatment to like stay connected with that experience that they've had so that, you know, they stop overriding their nose in the future? I think it's a lifelong practice, you know, is I override my nose all the time. We don't even, I don't even know I'm doing it until after the fact. And it's, it's so ingrained in us and it's not just a gender specific thing, but it is mm. very, very common in women. And I, I think it's a lifelong practice of such attunement to your body to, you know, if the no doesn't live like in your head as a yes or no, what does a no feel like in your body? Is it mm. the tightening of your stomach? Is it a little, you notice you, you clench a little bit somewhere. Do you stop breathing? What are the things that in your body signal to you that you're a no? And can you start to build the pathways to listen to those so that um, you can identify it sooner and sooner? Mm. No, you go ahead. Do you have something? No, go for it. Well, I just got kind of curious about like the history of this because 
obviously the overriding the no is a social thing. We've been socialized this way. But earlier when you were talking about historically these networks of support, um, like historically, did we have people doing the work that you're doing where you're just reacquainting people with their boundaries? Do we need that? Do we just not care about that? Um, like how have we evolved? Have we devolved, I guess, from being, yeah, I just, I just, I kind of know how we got where we are, but I'm wondering, did, what was, what's the history of this in terms of our pleasure and our, our holding? There's a lot to pull apart there because I don't think there's one specific tradition that this came out of. There's obviously massive traditions of body work and being able and energy work and healing work around the world. So definitely, I think there's always been some aspect of this. There's also many historical traditions where people were trained um, in not just techniques, but like really spiritual practices around sexual pleasure and sexual healing. And Tantra is a great example of this. It's mm. in a way been co-opted by a whole other capitalism world. Yeah. But the history of it is so rich and it's, it understands what sex can facilitate in a healing capacity in the body. So there are absolutely lineages of sexual healing. I don't think this specific lineage, um, it's a, it pulls from many traditions. It, it pulls from, somatic experiencing it pulls from a lot of work in the trauma world it, it pulls from fascial work so it's it's an integrative uh, modality and i think what's you know i don't know where it got lost i have the same question all the time you know i have the same question around like menstrual rites of passage and when we introduce um young people into a different part of their life where they're experiencing their bodies and then themselves in a whole new way. Uh, I have this question around how like teenagers, how they come into their sexuality and how we hold them in that because we're, we're kind of at this point, everyone's thrown like blind into the night. <laughs> we just find our way. And a lot of it's through the use of substances and without a lot of guidance um, and a lot of pornography. So I don't know where the thread was lost. Maybe there wasn't a thread. Maybe some cultures have intact threads and others are very far removed. Hmm. Yeah. Out of the um, donut grabbing his... We have a puppy that's just running around here wreaking havoc. Yeah. And... Just drink your water, buddy, instead of <laughs> picking up your bowl and walking around with it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know... you know. I'm imagining that there's a, there's some listeners right now that are listening to this, and perhaps they're in a in a, a, a you know a, a point in their life where they're feeling uh, a bit stagnant in their in their like sexual wellness or or struggling to find clarity in that part of their life. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for you know, techniques or like routines that people can, um, incorporate into their daily life to, to, I guess, 
I guess, kind of work out of that rut or to to open up their their own potential when it comes to like their their own sexual wellness? Yeah. <laughs> so to me, the most inherently powerful piece about sex, when we're fully immersed in a sexual moment, either with ourselves or with the partner, is we are completely immersed in our senses. It's what are we feeling? What are we smelling? What are we tasting? It is such a heightened sensory experience. And we live right now in a world, especially in North America, where we are in our heads all of the time. Mm. And so the practice is how do you get out of your head? Even like thinking about sex is different than how do I get into my senses? And sensuality really just means being totally immersed in your senses. And so even before you get into a, you know, a sexual practice, what are your practices that are sensual, that invoke your senses? So how do you surround yourself in things that uh, evoke smell, evoke taste, evoke touch? And a lot of that is the pathway. Like I like to see pleasure as that pathway. Mm. Like what brings pleasure to your eyes when you see things? For me, it's having my house filled with flowers and candles and low light. And so I evoke my sight that way. I, you know, I tap into it in a way that I'm feeding my senses in a, in a continual way. And that can be an ongoing thing where you're finding pleasure in the way that you eat food, in the way that, you know, you, you touch your body or you touch another person's body. And then you can roll that into a sexual practice. So, um, you know, some people are very like prescriptive, like masturbate more, know your body, like regular masturbation. I think that's great. But a lot of masturbation comes with goal of orgasm and we yeah. do it habitually. It's not an expansive practice if you're just rubbing one out to have an orgasm. To expand your capacity and really like fill yourself up or to have a partnered practice, you have to get out of the box of what you're already doing. And um, so I'll share my practice, like what I do to kind of, like kind of continuously try to stay a little bit in a state of pleasure and sensuality because that feeds my sexual uh, appetite. And that is I'm, I move a lot. I'll turn off the lights. My kids go to sleep. I'll put on my favorite playlist or I'll put on a really sad playlist or I'll put on an angry, you know, I'll put on what I'm feeling emotionally mm. and I will roll around on this carpeted room that is specifically dedicated to feeling what my body is feeling and letting it come out. And so sometimes it's like sensual <laughs> self-touch. Sometimes I'm using a bat and I'm beating the shit out of a pillow, excuse my language, but like really to express what's in my body. Um, and then yes, using self-pleasure as a tool and using evocative things in your relationship as a tool, you know, asking questions like what, what is the way that you would most like to experience pleasure if I could gift you something, you know, and being generous with that? Or, you know, do you have a sexual fantasy that feels really edgy to share with me? And what are some of the ways that we can maybe lean into that together? Maybe mm. it's not specifically role play, but maybe there's like a, a quality 
to the sexual fantasy that you can both bring into a moment and it just will create so much more openness and intimacy. It's almost like agreeing, like stepping over a threshold together. Like we're going to go into this space and see what happens. And it's like, we're both new here. We don't know how this works, but it doesn't have to be perfect. But we've agreed that we're going to meet on the other side of this threshold and Mm -hmm. just be open to what this idea or this, um, the seed uh, of an idea is planted. I love that. And I love the movement. I, I do, I have that practice as well. I don't think I know that I have that practice. And then some days I'll be like making dinner with my headphones on and I'll just be like moving around. And like, I make a lot of noise too. Like I, I do a lot of vocal work and it feels so human and it mm. feels so like, I just, no matter what, no matter what I'm feeling, it's almost like that movement um, is a pathway through it to the, to get to the other side, especially if I'm feeling stuck or something. Yeah, yeah, well, that's such a great practice. Well, and I think like at the heart of it is the best sex comes from emotional vulnerability. It really does. Like the intimacy that can happen when somebody is fully expressed in their truest self as they are in the moment no matter what the emotion is and the other person is safe to do the same that is magic like that goes beyond pleasure into a realm of connection that i personally think is why we actually all crave sex in the first place because we're like pleasure is one piece but that's just physical and you can move into the realm beyond (laughs) pleasure through two bodies connecting in such a way that it becomes something other than just two people that is um it's the definition of intimacy and magic and it brings us into like an otherworldly place so my theory is that that's what we're all (laughs) wanting when we actually want sex but we're just settling for you know physical pleasure and sort of sort of intimacy Mm. but that practice then of feeling the feelings and expressing them through sound expressing them through movement um it's almost this, like, to me, it's a reclaiming, right? You see, I watch my kids and my sons will be very loud, very vocal, instantaneously emotional in the moment when something happens. And we get trained as we become adults to really dissociate from emotions, to not be overreactive, to not be emotional, to not express our needs, uh, to suppress them. And because of all of that layering, we actually don't show how we're truly feeling. We have to, we censor ourselves so that we're lovable, essentially. And the, the embodied practice of expression through sound and through just feeling what you're feeling then allows so much more awareness of what you're feeling and then the capacity to express that and share it with someone else. If there was a different way, looking at your kids... And thinking about what's ahead of them in terms of these messages of like, be nice, be likable, cooperate, like all the things that have have reasons behind them, of course, like you need to get along, you need to get through life without, without just like wreaking havoc everywhere you go. Um, like where, how do you think that do you think about how we can transition from that state of like expressiveness and 
playfulness into adulthood in a better way? I think about it all the time because I, I constantly am wanting to be a good parent and questioning, you know, my techniques. Right. Um, it's sort of a question between like parenting is this fine line of being in your rational, thoughtful mind and being in your reactive stress response. And the stress response is where the problems come from because they're not really ours in a way. They're what we inherited from when we were parented. It's, you know, our nervous systems reflecting generations of um, our family. And so where we run into problems is in those moments. So it's almost like the best thing you can do is learn how to manage your stress response so that you can be actually thoughtful and in the moment and have a window of, uh, what's it called? A window of tolerance widens to when you get reactive. Mm. I love that answer. Uh, this, this has been a really lovely and, and eye-opening conversation. Is, is there anything that you, that you really wanted to hit on before we, before we wrap things up? I don't know. I feel like we went so many places. Yeah, me too. Birth and sex and parenting and all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Right. For our listeners that are that are curious um, and and interested in in kind of diving a little bit more into uh, Foria and what Foria has to offer, where where can they where can they find uh, Foria products and and, and kind you of, and your work and you and keep up with the work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. ForiaWellness.com is our website. Tons of educational offerings there. Tons of blogs. We have a full dedicated team to our blogs, so highly recommend reading. Um, our Instagram is, what is it? It's at Floria Wellness. So F-O-R-I-A wellness.com. That's a really, really fun place. <laughs> and then for me personally, I'm just Kiana.Reeves on Instagram. And I don't do a lot of self-promotion um, just because I'm so busy, but that's, I occasionally will drop a big fun thing on there. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Kiana. This has been really, really fun. Well, that was nice. Wasn't that pleasant? I really did enjoy that. I so I love it when a conversation uh, just sort of, I don't want to use the word derails because it, it's not, it sounds sort of like a negative, but where it branches off into unexplored or unpredetermined territory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really love that conversation. Kiana's, uh, you know, just a, obviously a wealth of knowledge and, um, and just such a sweet, sweet guest. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, hope you enjoyed that folks. Um, thanks for joining us. And, uh, if you're watching on Patreon, hello, welcome to our aftercare segment. Uh, if you want to watch our aftercare or our foreplay segments, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on. That's right. You can, uh, big week, big week for, for us over here in, in turn me on slash sick boy land. Uh, 
we don't have to go into this too much because I already talked about it at length um, on the upcoming Feel Good Friday episode for Sick Boy. But okay. Tricafta is coming to Nova Scotia. It's pretty um like remarkable. I I we have yet to really like sit down and we have, talk about it. Yeah, we haven't really talked about it. I'm gonna be on it. I'll likely be taking it uh by the first week of December. That's pretty cool. Do you feel um I guess I I don't even know what to ask you. How do you feel? Yeah, that's what we talked about on Sick Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um it's overwhelming for sure. I feel I feel really happy that um, that Tricapta is now available for folks, including myself. Totally happy that I'm, that I'm going to be able to take it. It's going to for people who don't know. I'm sure most of you know. I live with cystic fibrosis. Genetic. That's why you're coughing all the time. That's why I'm coughing so much that <laughs> I throw my back out constantly. Right. Yeah. Um. That's why I'm in massage school. Um. Yeah. So genetic lung disease, no cure, uh, fatal disease. Life-shortening illness. Life-shortening illness. And Trikafta is basically, it's not a cure, but it's, the, it's one of the first drugs that doesn't treat the symptoms of the disease, but rather it treats the disease at, at its source. So wow. it, it literally... It's a, it's called a modulator drug and it essentially goes in and like fucks with your genes. Mm -hmm. So it like, it treats at the genetic level and cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a genetic mutation and whatever that mutation is, the CFTR gene is going to be affected by this drug trichafta. And what that means is a whole bunch of things. Um... Mainly, it means that my life expectancy is going to, statistically, very high chances, is going to increase dramatically. My lung function, which is, um, which is shit, is going to be much better. I got uh, one sec. My, my, my food order is calling me here. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, hi. Yeah, so the the yeah, that's the right one. The door, the first door on the on the right, uh closest to the street. Yeah. Yeah, the brick building, that's it. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. Uh there we go. So um uh anyway, where was I? Yeah, my lung function's gonna increase. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll cut that out. <laughs> um and uh and that's that's a big plus. Also, I'm likely going to start gaining weight easier, Whoa. easily, which has never been a thing. I've never weighed more than 155 pounds in my life, and I'm five foot nine. So I'll see a change in that. And then one of the things that I asked, so here's a big thing. This is really interesting. When I was in clinic, I was at clinic yesterday, and um, they were giving me the whole rundown on what, what this means. And... Uh, as a male living with CF, I'm infertile. 97% of males with CF are. I think it's like 94% or maybe even maybe 98% of females with cystic fibrosis are infertile as well. Wow. Now, a, a female or a person with ovaries 
with CF um, takes Tricafta. They are no longer, chances are, they're no longer infertile. Whoa. Because what's happening there is people with cervixes, their cervix is covered in mucus, essentially. And that mucus prevents the sperm from breaking through and, um, and getting pregnant. Like mucus is the big thing in cystic fibrosis. It's just like plugging up. That's everything. pretty much it. Like my body's just just overproduced, overproduced, it. and can't flush out the mucus. So there's been some unplanned pregnancies in the CF community. Um, of course, because of trichafta. So I was like, oh fuck! Like yeah, I you haven't texted me that I haven't been protecting myself in that regard ever. Like, I mean, like since I was since, 20. Yeah. So is that something I have to worry about? Luckily, it's not. Um, uh, it has to do with my vas deferens not really being like attached in a certain way. Right. So basically, I've, I've like had a um, like a vasectomy at birth, essentially. Okay. And uh, Donut, you like this toy, huh? Yeah. Are you a good boy? And so, um, so I don't have to worry about that. But the thing that the thing that and this is what we talk about on the show and we don't have to go into this too deeply, but maybe you and I can talk about it later off air. But um, what's really trippy about getting this drug and I had this conversation with my therapist yesterday is when they made the announcement that the drug was going to be available in Canada back in 2020, I was overwhelmed with elation. Yeah. I was brought to tears. Like it was a huge monumental moment. And I was, I was really excited. But then when they made the announcement that it was available in Nova Scotia last week, um, I didn't feel that. And it was weird not feeling that. And I couldn't quite articulate why. And so talking with my therapist about it, um, I started to realize like, oh man, this is, re- this is really fucked. But I'm like, I've spent 33 years of my life mm-hmm. with this idea and notion that like I'm only going to live a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I came to peace with that mm-hmm. a long time ago. And I embraced that a long time ago. And it's one of the things that's made me who I am. Mm-hmm. And um and now part that's part of your identity. It's part of my identity. And now that's all cha- now that's all changing. Okay. That's not the case. And so the thing that my my therapist pointed out to me, can you re- this is really annoying, buddy. Go fuck off. Um <laughs> was that I'm essentially like in a I'm starting the process of like grieving my own identity. And that's a fucking weird place to be. Yeah. So yeah, yesterday was like a really emotional, um, it was a really emotional day and I'm still not really entirely sure how to like wrap my head around it all. Um, again, I, I, I don't want anyone to hear this and think that like, I'm not grateful for this drug and that I'm not excited for what this drug is going to do for me because that's not the case at all, but it's a very nuanced Thing. And I think that, and, and, you know, it's, it's hard because I'm getting, of course, when the news broke and I 
I, you know, I was on the, I, I did a radio interview about it and I, I made a post about it as I should. And, and in those posts and in those interviews, I'm like very pro Trikafta. Like, this is a good thing. This is like black and white. This is good. There's nothing yeah. bad about this. And I have to do that. And the position that I'm in, the platform that I have, I have to push that message forward because it is a positive. But there's this fucking side of it that, and I know I'm not alone in this. There's no. other people with CF that are in this position right now that I don't think people are really, really seeing, which is this, the part of it where like my whole life is now being like fucking flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a positive thing, but it's still hard it's still it's it's not easy it's still a big adjustment yeah like i don't i wasn't planning to live long (laughs) you know yeah you weren't planning for me to live long Mm -hmm. i made decisions in my life Mm -hmm. based on not living long Mm -hmm. financial decisions relationship decisions like decisions of of i mean everything i've fucking done in my entire life has been based on this notion yeah and now this notion is no longer a thing really it's not to say i'm not going to die of cf mm -hmm. that like that's that's still statistically that's still the case but Mm -hmm. but it's we can still do the big trip to to wherever we're going for your I guess we don't have to, you don't really even have to travel for a medically assisted death anymore, do you? No, don't do that. No. I thought we were going to have to do, like, we were going to have to. Go to the Netherlands yeah, or some exactly. shit. Yeah, exactly. No, not anymore. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's been a really, uh, it's been a really tough, like, past, I don't know, 48 hours. Um, and my therapist was like, he, he, you know, he was like, you should, uh, I suggest you, like, either either talk it out with someone or write it down but he was like write like write out your life story and like mm. and what your identity was and write out your process of grieving that man do you know what though another silver lining to all of this not even just the silver lining to trikafta but the uh silver lining to the the situation you find yourself in now the complicated and nuanced emotions of it I bet you can come up with a couple new uh, talks yeah. about that. Yeah. Because no, but I think this is like a, it's a really important point that you're making, a, you know, cause we've talked about grief in terms of the pandemic. We've talked about grief in terms of like the life we all had been planning for the mm. world we all were planning to live in. And that changed with the pandemic and, and all of the heightened awareness that came around the pandemic of, of like, you know, how inequitable the world is and how like the planet is dying and like Mm. all of these things we kind of like knew, but now it's like we have to deal with it. And there's all this grief involved and it's not the life any of us expected to find ourselves in. So you sharing this part of this good news, not only are you not alone, but it's really good for the rest of us to hear and acknowledge that part of this process that you're going through because whether it's CF or whether it's a different illness and when your expectations change and everything you planned your whole life and your identity around changes, then 
You know what just came to mind is our friend uh, from early on. Uh, we used a pseudonym, and I can't remember what we called her, but who left her whole community. She was a uh, Jehovah's Witness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah. Just like, what is it to lose yeah. your identity? Yeah. What's that process? <coughs> yeah, it's a trippy one. <clears throat> so anyway, that, that's been a Huge. thing. Huge. Well, and you texted me yesterday, I think probably from clinic with of like, oh, going to have to start using birth control again. And I was like, well, and now you've just stated that it's a relief that you actually don't have to think about that. Yeah. But was there any part of you that for a moment was like, hmm, that might be a game changer no, as well? No, you were like, no, no, no. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> and, and the reason I texted you that was because it was very brief. It was a moment where a doctor was, when I'm at clinic, I just see doctors doc- come in like, and out. Yeah, every type of doctor. And so I was speaking with the dietitian. Okay. And I hadn't seen the, the head doc, the respirologist. And I was like, hey, do you know if I can, if like this is going to change my fertility? And she was like, oh, um, well, it does for females. And I don't know about males, wow. but it very likely could. I'm going to go find out. And I was like, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Holy fucking fuck. And I just, I, I texted you. I was like, I, I think I, I think I a might. A whole new world. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a whole new world in 2022 for me. I'm Here's so another curious. crazy thing. I mean, this is, this is less like turn me on stuff, but, um, more sick boy, but, um, apparently when people start taking it, a very high percentage of them start to, like almost immediately, like the day of, and this can last for a few days or upwards of like a few weeks. You start to, you start to cough and cough and like uh, cough and cough and cough. And you're just coughing up all pretty much mucus. all the mucus that's like in you. And, uh, apparently one of the patients who started the drug she had a really low lung function, like 30%. That's like almost end stage CF. And she got on it and this cough started and it lasted for three weeks. And at the three week mark, she was like, she called the clinic and was like, guys, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know if I can handle this. Like I might tap out. And then the next day it stopped. And she was like, holy fuck. I can breathe. And it was like a whole fucking big exorcism yeah it made me think of the ayahuasca or like when i did 5-meo dmt like it was a very like there was a really intense um uh will you grab me a beer it was a really intense um purge and i'm 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 anticipating that that might happen with me this the, the great purge the great mucus purge of 2021 <laughs> you should collect it all oh, <laughs> oh my God. um you know what's funny? I I um I think everybody who's listening to this knows I'm in massage school. And um yesterday we learned tapotement, which is a technique used for massage. Okay. But I I was like, I got this because it's it it's it's like here's here's what the names of these 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 are called. These methods are called hacking and heavy hacking. And then cupping and not cupping like with the, the physical cups, but cupping with your hand. Right. 
And I've like it's like the it's like the thing where you see like the the stereotypical like massage. like karate chopping exactly. massage. Yeah. That's called hacking or or he, if your fingers are apart, it's called light hacking. If your fingers are together, it's called heavy. I hacking. love light hacking. The the like the yeah. fingers kind of like slapping down on each other. Yeah, I love the feeling of doing it. Oh, it feels great. Well, the cupping is like my palms are down, yeah. my hands are cupped a little yeah. bit, which I've done tons of times on you on me. for physio. Yeah. And all of these topotement techniques are known for like breaking up mucus. So topotement. Yeah. So maybe in that uh, in that three week period or in however I long it lasts for you, I'll come to pot yeah. you. Yeah, to pot me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. So that's interesting and um, life changing and life changing, exciting and scary and fun and not and. Actually, one of the things that I said yesterday to the guys when we were recording, and this will, you'll, and I actually said this to my therapist too. Fuck, man. I, I might not be able to talk about it without getting emotional. Um, my therapist was like, okay, I can, like, I was really, I was fucking, I was, I was having a really big emotional release with him. And he was like, okay, I want you to like ground your feet and just close your eyes and just, make room for these emotions and see where you can feel them in your body and, and give them shape and yada, yada. Wow. And, uh, as I did that exercise, which I've done with him several times with other life scenarios, I've found myself in, um, I couldn't help but think about that exercise we did in theater school of like, and we've talked about this on the show before of expand, I'm expanding mm-hmm. and I'm contracting. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it felt like in that, moment of trying to pinpoint these emotions i felt like simultaneously at the exact same time i am expanding and contracting Mm -hmm. over and over and over again constantly and it was such a fucking bizarre and unfamiliar feeling it was really weird and that's what i feel like that's what i feel like now that's what i that's what i've been feeling since this news came out last friday is I'm just I am expanding and I am contracting all at once continuously and it's and it it's not fun. No. You know, it's it's confusing. Uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It sounds to me like grief. Yeah. For sure. Because yeah. when um, at least some types of grief, like when I lost my dad or I lost my grandmother or even Big B, it's like there's there's so much emotion. Yeah. And you kind of expand to be able to yeah. hold it all. Yeah, yeah. And yet it's so it's so deep. The core of it is so deep that it's also crushing at the same time. It, you're right. And that was exactly what I felt when <sighs> when I held Bigby as mm-hmm. he took his last breaths. It was like expansion and contraction together. Yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's where I'm at with that. And, um, uh, that in your mouth, lean over, put that beer in your mouth, beer spill. You're just expanded and contracted (laughs) at the same time. As if to illustrate. Wow. Thanks Um, for sharing that with me and with everybody. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hear about something completely different and, and now interesting? For something completely different. This uh, this came out of the news here in Halifax last week. Male stamina drugs seized from Halifax corner store can be dangerous. Experts warn. 
I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one more time? Male stamina drugs. Oh, like Viagra. Seized from Halifax Corner Store. Oh. Can be dangerous. The seizure of an unauthorized erectile dysfunction drug from a Halifax convenience store has prompted a warning from health officials about the potentially dangerous products. On October 12th, Health Canada issued a safety alert advising that a product called Rush Hour 72 <laughs> was seized from convenience for you on Bedford Highway near Larry Utech Boulevard. The single dose pills packaging touts 72 hours of stamina and says it's 100% natural guaranteed. Here's a photo of the drug. Uh, again, our patrons are seeing this right here. Whoa. Fourteen ninety nine, not a bad price. That's a big smile on their face. Yeah. It says no prescription needed. Great. Longer, harder, and more stamina. Natural male performance. High quality. Okay. This reminds me of a drug that I bought one time at a store in Northern Ireland. Oh yeah, the the fucking designer drug, like the fake MDMA. Yes. I wonder what it was probably like. What, there's a there's a number of um, I mean that's illegal now. It's it should be. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and it was probably like, oh fuck, I know I know some of those designer drugs. I forget the name of it, two PC or something like that. Anyway, yeah, they're fucking bad idea. Could be it could have been MDA, like just straight sassafras. Oh, okay, it was not pleasant. You didn't like it. It was terrible. Very like very speedy, right? It was uh, it wasn't so much speedy actually. It was like. Very hallucinogenic. Whoa. Yeah. Which MDMA generally <laughs> doesn't do. No. So, no. yeah, it was wow. a bad idea. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Hallie Bald, the medical director at the Halifax Sexual Health Center, questions those claims that it is 100% natural guarantee. <laughs> uh, quote, we're not entirely sure if this is a drug that's been approved through Health Canada, so that's the problem. Health Canada told CBC News via uh, email that Rush Hour 72 was seized and tested in 2017 and was found to contain both sildenafil and tadalafil, prescription drugs used to treat erectile dysfunction. Okay. Health Canada also stresses, stresses on its website that products like these may contain cheap filler ingredients not listed on the label. Right. The products may be under made under unsanitary conditions and could be contaminated with mold, bacteria, and chemicals used to make other products on the same site, Health Canada warns. Similar drugs have been seized across the country, often from convenience stores and adult stores, according to Health Canada. Bald said that erectile dysfunction drugs are prescription only for a reason. Yeah. Due to the reaction they may have with other medications or conditions. Uh, Yes. Uh, Quote, if someone is using these medications, we usually like to speak to them and counsel them first because we need to know what their health history is specifically if they have a history of cardiovascular disease. If someone's already taking a medication that dilates the blood vessels, their blood vessels could dilate too much and they could lose consciousness or have very low blood pressure. Bald said these pills can also lead to a painful condition called priapism. Do you know what priapism is? I've heard of it. It's It's like uncomfortable forever boner. And if you have a priapism, we talked about this on Sick Boy once, it's fuck, this makes me weak. The way you treat a priapism Uh-oh. is very invasive. With some heavy hacking? Hacking ain't going to hack it. <laughs> oh, no. Fuck no. You need to have a scalpel. No. Punctured through oh. the head of your penis. Oh, no. Into the like main artery in your dick or like whatever blood line there is. And then another puncture 
to like release the pressure. And then it literally shoots a stream of unbelievable amounts of blood. Oh my God. Out of your pee hole until the priapism has released. Well, that sounds awful. You want to know something else interesting about priapism? Yeah. What's the, there's like a fucking name for it. It's like death boner or something like that. Death boner. It's uh, angel lust. That's what it's called. Angel lust. Oh. And the reason that, the, that it has that name is that um, sometimes people who are hanged will get a priapism. Oh my God. Because of the way that it like snaps their neck. Yeah. Has some sort of interaction with. Their blood, blood flow, flow, and then they just get a, a they get angel lust. Well, that's interesting. Death boner. That's super interesting, and Isn't that uh, fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I. That would be a really weird thing. Like dead bodies do some strange things. They like do. They, they, yeah. They make sounds. They can change positions. Like it's very bizarre. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. I can't remember how we got onto this. Oh yeah, this this seven rush hour seventy two. Yeah, I rush hour seventy two. I feel like it also reminds me. Do you remember those stores that used to exist in shopping malls? Maybe they still do. Where it was like, it's like a prank store, and yeah. you can go in and you can buy San Francisco like, store. Oh, San Francisco. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. I and I feel I don't like think they exist anymore. That's the kind of thing that you could like buy there. To like prank somebody into having a boner. I loved San Francisco store. It was so weird. I would go there every time we went to the mall. I don't think it exists anymore. Novelty shops in Canada, they're dirty t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a fucking awesome. I remember going in there when I was a kid mm-hmm. and going to the back and they had these titty mugs. They were mugs that looked like boobs. Yeah. And the, and the liquid would come out the nipple. Right. And I was just obsessed with them. I'm sure you were. Sounds like. I love a good titty mug. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Let's, uh, you know what? what? Let's let's hold that. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Um, I got to go get my hair cut. Okay. Um, but this was fun. And folks, thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kiana Reeves. No relation to Keanu. We did. We did talk to her about that after. She did not seem to be overly impressed by the question. She was tired of hearing that question. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but uh, just a she wasn't named after him. No, we'll we'll we'll, uh, leave it at that. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a rating or review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Follow us on Spotify, and of course, if you want to. Tune in to these um, these foreplays or aftercares visually, so you can see Donut up Donut on the table on the being table. a weirdo. Being a weirdo. Uh, uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Turn Me On. To all of our <laughs> patrons that have supported us this far, we love you. Thank you so much. You mean the world to us, and uh, we definitely love you more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. We sure do. And just a reminder: November fourteenth, save the date. Human connection through touch. I'll be in touch next week with maybe some more information about that. Hell yeah. Uh, All right, folks, that is it for this week. And until next week, go touch yourself.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.